Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 51st blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows when to hold them and when to fold them. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on the interwebs, and my co-host is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Uh, looking forward to being here. All sorts of interesting stuff to talk about tonight. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. What do we have on the docket today, Travis? Uh, this week, given that we are just coming out of Aether Revolt spoilers, we have a show in three parts. Uh, segment one is our top movers, a pretty healthy list this week of cards that have risen in price. Segment two is our cards to watch. This is where James and I are going to be looking at cards that we think have the potential to rise in the future. Uh, and segment three will be our topic of the week. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at oh, how to decide when to sell your cards, uh, specs or not. Um, so let's jump right in at the bottom of segment one. Uh, we're going to begin this week with Pure Steel Paladin. Uh, this is the two-mana rare from New Phyrexia. Uh, draws you a card whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under your control. Um, started the week at about $6. It's been hanging in the sort of four... It started out... It was $4 like a couple months ago. It's, it's climbed up to about 6 now, but now it's around $12. Uh, looks like the cheapest copy on TCG is... Uh, over 12 with shipping um, and i'm seeing a market price of about seven dollars so it really has started to move this is all on the back of uh sram uh the most awkwardly named magic card in recent history who is also a two mana white dork who draws you cards when equipment enter the battlefield so people are looking at this and seeing um redundancy in a combo piece for the modern cheerios deck which plays tons of zero mana cost equipment um, so we don't really have this as a, you know, we don't know if the combo is, is going to be good enough now, um, but people seem to be excited about it. And I, I expect Pure Steel's price to be reasonably sticky. Even if it doesn't pan out, it'll still be a tier four combo deck regardless that people might want to try out. And Pure Steel has always been uh, pretty appealing. Um, so I think this has just sort of inspired people to finally get around to buying it if they hadn't already. Yeah, I mean, there's some slight chance it shows up in MM3, um, but it, it's a Metalcraft card, right? So um, they yep. have to have a Metalcraft theme to really make that work. Um, and they've shown reluctance in the past to, to throw kind of like rando individual cards in with keywords that aren't mentioned anywhere else in the set. Um, we saw just, Metalcraft uh, in 2015 as well because of Mox yeah. Opal. Yeah, so, so, I don't, so I don't think that we're getting Metalcraft again. Um, and so as such, this is a single printing card. Um uh, you know, I was actually, we'll talk about it more in the cards to watch. I think there's a chance this card is actually going to get as high as $20 if the deck is real, in which case it's a buy. Um, but it would be a risky one. Yeah, you'd at least have time, I think, to see that coming. Um, you know, it would have to put up multiple results in order for people to really start buying it on it. Excuse me, which means that uh, you'd still have room to get in at 10 if you so desired. 
All right, so next on our list we have Narset Transcendent. This is the overlooked uh, white-blue planeswalker from Dragons of Tarkir that didn't really see a lot of play in the standard that it was a part of. Um, but uh, it's been it's moved from about $7 up to 15 for about 100% gain, and this is on the back of uh, the concept that Esper control decks will be a thing in modern now that they have Fatal Push to leverage um, alongside... Uh, path to Exile. Um, so the plethora of cheap uh, effects to flash back and the potential of playing Snapcaster Mages, um, Narsets, uh, Jace, Friends Prodigy, and or Torrential Gear Hulk gives you all sorts of ways to be casting uh, great spells over and over again uh, and grinding out card advantage uh, to deal with the aggro decks and mid-range decks alike. Um, these decks need to put up some results to really justify this price. There's also some outsider interest in Frontier. I know at least a couple of people that invested in this card on the basis, the basis of Frontier alone. It's also good in blue-white uh, control strategies there, and there might be an Esper deck in that format as well. Yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. That's fine, I guess. I'm really not eager to be involved in this at all. Um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like that interesting of a, of a spec to me. I think there's there's better places to turn your attention. So I, if you can actually get an, uh, you know, $15 out of these, I'd be happy to take it. Yeah. I mean, I, there's certainly some chance for growth. Uh, there aren't a lot of foils left on, on TCG at all. And there's only 11 results for a total of maybe 13 or 14 copies. Um, and it looks like the card could push $20. Um, uh, the, the reality is that Dragons of Tarkir is not being opened any further, and this is uh, ties into this whole concept of attrition I've been pushing for ages, that it doesn't matter how many millions of cards they print in any given set. All that matters is how many of them actually float back into the market, and the size of that market is much, much smaller than the print run is. And so you get a few years out from the printing of a set, and unless it has uh, a reason to be sitting around, most of those co- copies get absorbed into closets and under beds, and this is what we're left with, the, the potential for a mythic to spike on mild potential usage in modern yep all right uh okay so next up we have inexorable tide this is the uh blue five mana enchantment originally from scars of mirrodin uh and then modern masters 2 uh it just says whenever you cast a spell proliferate Started out at a dollar fifty, uh, up to about three fifty. I'm seeing copy. I know I see copy right now for a dollar fifty on TCG, but there's only one of them, and then they go up from there on the Modern Master side of things. Looks like on the uh, New Phyrexia side, they start at around three and change shipped as well. This is definitely definitely due to Atraxa, who uh, is all about proliferating, and Inexorable Tide is one of the best ways, sort of setting up some sort of infinite combo to proliferate multiple times in a turn. I was actually. <clears throat> interested uh when i saw attractions the card started to move i was like oh man i should look up an extrable tide i bet everyone forgot about that but not only had everyone not forgotten about it it had also been reprinted uh in modern masters so uh, you know it was a little too late um but the price is starting to move so i think we're probably around the ceiling for this card you know the three to four dollar range for the foreseeable future but uh you get about two years out i if without a reprint i could see this climbing some more from there this card could hit 10 uh the other thing what you know what's interesting though about this particular um price spike pattern a card that's a dollar or two dollars getting into that three to five dollar range um that is primarily played in commander 
Um, this is a great example of a spec that looks good on paper. It's up 133%, but is actually never going to make you any money. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is that if you got in at a dollar and you managed to sell it at four, minus shipping fees and time spent, you just made nothing. And because it's a commander card, you're probably selling them uh, one at a time. Um, that's not where you want to be. You want to be, if you're going to be in on commander cards, you want to be in on the foil of this card that might have moved from $10 to $30 or $20 to $40. Um, you know, a card that was $5, like uh, Stronghold Gambit that we're going to talk about again that made another move this week, you know, moving from 10 to 30 um, in the foils. You know, that that's the kind of money where it's worth your time to be putting the stamp on the envelope. Um, the dollar to $4 specs when you can't sell them as a play set, that's definitely not where you want to be. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that one. Um, that's such a, that's so hard to get away. It's, it's, it's so easy to run into where you think you're in great shape and you just, um, the price didn't move enough to actually make you any money. Yep. Well, what's next? Uh, so we actually missed Rishkar Pima Renegade, um, one oh. of the new cards from Aether Revolt moving from 250 to just over five. So this is another example of a card that's up a hundred percent. Um, but it's going to be hard to make money on unless you can sell full full play sets uh, on TCG or eBay. This is the uh, 2-2 Legendary Elf Druid um, uh, for two and a green. When it comes into play, you put plus one, plus one counters on each of up to two target creatures, and each creature you control uh, with a counter on it has uh, add green to your mana pool. So not only is it distributing counters, but it's turning things into Llanowar Elves. It's an Elf. It's a Druid. Um, it has interactions in a, in Atraxa and Hardened Scales and everything else that ever cared about counters, everything else that ever cared about Elves or Druids um, or wanted to ramp. I mean, th- this card is going to be amazing to be holding long term uh, once the initial shine on the foils wears off and we get towards peak supply. Uh, yeah, I, I looked at this card before the show and I'm like, wait, th- this is the card that's $5? Uh, this is surprising to me. I, I would really expect the price to come down pretty hard on this one. I mean, the uh, several pros are advocating the green-white deck that revolves uh, green-white Planewalker tokens using four Nisa and four Gideon um, along without the, the specter of um, Reflector Mage and Smuggler's Copter threatening those Planeswalkers. That deck gets a lot better. Um, it has a Johnny at the top end now. Pima can make their first couple of plays big and help them ramp into their bigger uh, cards. They have access to SRAM's expertise into a Rishkar. I mean, that's not a terrible place to be. Put three 1-1 one, one, uh, artifact creature tokens on the board, then buff two of them and turn them into mana producers. Uh, that's a play pattern that could see standard play. Yeah, that's not terrible. I, I don't hate that. I guess, you know, between the Nissa and the Gideon especially and some of the other cards, I, I wonder how much room there's going to be for a card like this to really flex its price muscles when you have other cards that are either much easier to be expensive like Gideon or Nyssa and also other rares that might be a little older, a little better positioned. Um, yeah, I, I think five is, you, you, this is not a card you should be buying folks. This is at $5 as a rare. And the fact that it's a legendary means that it's probably going to be played as a two or three of at max, um, probably more like a two of in most of these decks. And it probably only shows up in one or two of the decks in the format. So five, all of the value is already priced in. If this was a dollar right now and it was going to break out somewhere down the road, then I'd be all about it. Um, I'm more interested in how low the foils can get for long-term EDH and casual demand. Sure. I uh, I agree with you completely that this would be more interesting if nobody had figured it out yet and we're like, oh, this is a sleeper pick for green, white. And here it's like, oh, no, never mind. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. No one's sleeping on this yet. No. 
Uh, okay, so after that we have, let me get this uh, right. A, a card I was completely sleeping on um, and have just woken up to um, uh, without any credit that, to be claimed. Uh, <laughs> we talked about this a couple weeks uh, a couple weeks ago when we were looking through the spoiler too. We did touch on it. Yeah, I, I didn't see this as being as good as it might turn out to be. We're talking about Herald of Anguish. This is the demon out of Ether Revolt that was largely overlooked um, when the, when it first was revealed in the in the complete spoiler. Um, it wasn't one of the spoiled cards, I don't believe. I think it was just dumped uh, along with everything else. And it was one of the things that was easy to miss because it just looked like a 5-5 five, five flyer for 7 that had a couple of random abilities on it that didn't seem too relevant for the format. Um, it does uh, force your opponent to discard at the beginning of your end step. So they lose a card on the turn that you play it. Um, and for one and a black, you can sack an artifact to give a creature minus two, minus two, and it's a repeatable ability. It's not a tap and it's not like it's limited. It's not even sorcery speed only. So those are all good things. But the part that's really that, that I overlooked that it, I really shouldn't have is that it has improvised, that you can use artifacts to help cast the spell, which means that in the presence of vehicles, um, and especially things like I'm, I'm thinking of, um, you know, two and three casting cost vehicles or prophetic prisms or whatever that you're going to drop in the early to mid game. Um, the ability, if you end up figuring out the deck that plays this thing uh, for four mana effectively, then you're getting a five, five flyer that forces your opponent to lose a card and can kill things um, for a very uh, attractive price. And it was, I think, uh, Tamaharu Saito from uh, Heroyuya in Japan that was uh, writing uh, writing the card up as part of a deck he had proposed for the new standard. Um, and I've seen it mentioned in a couple of other places. Um, who knows if this gets played in enough quantity um, to, you know, justify the 13 or $14 price it's holding right now. Um, I'd be a lot more excited if it was at 4 or $5, that comfortable spot for a Mythic that has not yet spiked. Um, at the current pricing, there's way too much success factor already plugged in, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I do. It's, man, it, yeah, you're not getting in for any cheaper than $12 right now. That's so much. I mean, I, even Gideon was <clears throat> was like 25 tops when right after the Pro Tour, and he like, you know, destroyed that Pro Tour uh, Zendikar, so... It, this is an interesting card. Um, I, I it feels a little Magic Christmas Land to me. I think when I look at this occasionally, I guess the, the I guess the question is what what mana is a reasonable price to pay for Herald of Anguish? A five five flyer. They discard on average one card. Well, I mean you're you're you can expect about one to two cards. You might be able to kill a creature with it. I mean that to me sounds like a five to six mana creature so i guess it's not that hard to make this cheap um you know if you have I mean, one artifact it's kind of fair so here's the play pattern i was thinking of in like black white control um and there are several uh you can also do this with the red white vehicles deck you can do this um uh, in a metalwork colossus deck um, but the one i was looking at last night was like black white again with sram's expertise let's say that you cast sram's expertise uh into uh, a vehicle uh but maybe the vehicle is what was your your pick from last week uh let me just look that Aether sphere harvester yes Aether sphere harvester or heart of kieran for instance uh are vehicles that cost two or three um so let's say that you are sram's expertising three servo tokens out that gives you three artifacts and you dump a vehicle as your free spell you just dropped four artifacts on the battlefield and herald is now going to cost three mana and well yeah, I mean, in those, 
the deck that's playing SRAM's, I mean, SRAM's expertise making servo tokens is certainly relevant. Um, I'm just kind of used to thinking about them as soldier tokens. So if if those if those lines play and they work, then you know that's that's fine by me. Um, I think that that's that's definitely opens a door to Harold being powerful. Uh, I suppose so. In in any case, in any case, I think we are in a situation where it is not wise to be buying these. It's unlikely any deck will play four um, unless they really find a way to break him. So. Uh, you know, I'm not interested at this today, but if we get down to three or four dollars, it's, it's definitely worth considering. I mean, this is the lesson here is, that we've harped on a few times uh, over the, the months um, is test. I mean, if you're testing formats ahead of other people and you try cards like this um, in your testing, it's going to be you that gets in at five dollars and gets out at twelve. Um, it's not me because I didn't test the card. And it's that simple. <laughs> the, yeah. the the people that have spiked this card are the ones that were testing and then wrote about it. It's, and they were ahead of the game and they had the opportunity to make money. If you want to be in that in the driver's seat on that, then you need to test the format. That's mostly true. I suppose <laughs> somebody could have gotten ahead of themselves and just spiked it because they thought it looked good. But for the most part, yes, yes, you're completely correct. That well, I mean, even, actually, even if it's being the first guy to read the article that where somebody else is pushing the card, um, you still you still get that first mover advantage. I mean, that's one of the things that makes the pro trader service on on uh, MTG price worthwhile is that you get access to our articles for 48 hours ahead of everybody else. And if one of us discovers something like this, then you get in early. Um, what's next on the list? Yep, next we have uh, Walking Ballista, which if I'm not mistaken, I did talk about last week. Um, so uh, if you bought any after that last week, great. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I told you to wait and hope that the price went down. So sorry if well, I just teased you. But uh, you had you had you called Ballista a dollar fifty, so uh, that's that's a win. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, is when I set last week when we recorded, I was like, I don't know if you can actually find them for this price. They're a little over two. So you know, maybe not quite yet. Uh, so sorry guys <laughs> but uh hmm. there were definitely twitter pre-orders from the the usual suspects that were sub two dollars um yes. but the card the cards moved from you know mid twos to about seven dollars um it it's a rare that price is too high you should be selling 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 if you have your hands on any ahead of the release um as soon as keep in mind the set is not actually out yet and none of these prices are going to hold once supply starts churning into the marketplace Right, right, which is what uh so you know, I'm in the position where I have a couple sets coming that I picked up on eBay right before we recorded last week, but um now I just have to hope that basically the price will probably settle enough after this coming weekend that by the time I get them it won't be worth shipping, so I'll just have to wait for the pro tour and hope that it shoves it back up again. Um and I expect a lot of people are going to be in the same boat as me. Yeah, I mean, Ballista is showing it is is prophesized for this green white uh, tokens deck uh, in standard that uh, is looking to make use of the counters and um, uh, all the extra mana you get off Rishkar um, and uh, you know kill some stuff off for value in the mid game. But what's really got me intrigued about this card as a long term play in foils um, and they're already relatively high. Let me just double check what the what the current foil price is. We're looking at, I think it was over $10 last time I looked at it. Uh, yeah, so foils were approximating like 13 to 15 if I'm not mistaken, by this morning. Uh, the On the walking ballista? 
Yeah. So yeah, it's 13 is about the lowest you can get it for right now. So this is the basis for, for this card holding a, a solid multiple in foil is that it's um, in any situation where you have either infinite plus one plus one counters or a lot of them or infinite mana or a lot of that. Um, you can kill somebody with a walking blist on the table because it sacks its plus one plus one counters for one damage per counter. So if you can give it a ton of counters or a ton, you have a ton of mana, um, and this can be in concert with things like Krark Clan Ironworks, Arcbound Ravager, um, uh, Mirror Retrievers. There's all sorts of weird, busted, rando things. Somebody messaged me on Twitter and ta- told me about uh, another combo that uses uh, Grinning Ignis and uh, Heartless Summonings plus Walking Ballista is an infinite combo that's an instant kill. Heartless Summonings makes uh, all creatures of a certain type uh, cost two less. Grinning Ignis uh, generates mana equal to the mana it costs to play it. Um, So it allows you to pick it up and then put it back down a whole bunch of times. That certainly makes uh, Heartless Summoning a little more interesting again. Yeah, so I mean, Grinning Ignis is two and a red for an elemental that's a 2-2. And for one red, you return Grinning Ignis to its owner's hand and add two and a red to your mana pool. So if you have Heartless Summonings out, um, Grinning Ignis costs one red, costs one more red to put it back in your hand. um, uh, But you're getting uh, one, you're netting one colorless mana. Well, that means you have an infinite combo. You can do that infinite times. The Walking Ballista becomes a machine gun and kills your opponent stone dead and if you want to have style points you can wipe out the board along the way Um, yeah and so in that's probably only one of 15 or 20 combos people are going to discover with walking ballista and so i i i suggest uh my suggestion is that this is playable potentially in modern legacy vintage and or edh Um, and if it does well in any two of those and ends up being a four of in any of the constructed formats then the foils um, could easily end up being fifteen or twenty dollar cards, and if you can end up if you end up getting a shot at them at five or ten somewhere along the way here, then um, definitely worth taking a look at. Sure, sure, it is. It's an it's an interesting card. It has a lot of a lot of viability in a lot of formats, and we, we talked about it a lot last week. So I'm not going to rehash that argument, but I, I do like the card. Um, it's All right. So we also have. We also had Return to Dust, the commander card that lets you uh, kill two artifacts and or enchantments. It's played in tons of white decks in EDH. Its last reprint was two years ago. It's moved from $1.50 to $4 uh, for a $2.50 gain. Again, a commander card moving from the 1 to 2-ish to the 3 to 5-ish range isn't going to make you any money, but it looks good on paper. Um, if this gets up into the six, seven, eight dollars, now we're talking. But uh, I wouldn't hold your breath. This is likely to have a slow bleed up to the next plateau. Yeah, I, I also agree. This is not going to see a dramatic spike. Although, if you have copies, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you kind of hang out. Now you're starting to see the price on a commander card finally start to tick up after several reprintings. So this is that time period where it can finally um, begin to pick up some scratch. So again, you're not going to see a really fast spike, uh, but this could end up a couple dollars more a year from now than it is today. So um, I don't know. I, I don't hate holding it here, actually. It's also worth pointing out that if you've got a good commander play group where you're trading cards regularly, then these kind of spikes are perfectly fine because you, you get to trade out at the full retail value if you're using you know TCG or SCG or MTG price fair, fair trade value um, as your basis for trade, then you're in good shape. Yeah, I, I agree. If you if if you have that out available to you, uh, it's great. It's just uh, you know, we're not not everyone's going to have that opportunity. But if it comes up, sure, getting the trade for full value is always appreciated. 
I forget that some people still do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly not a big part of my schedule anymore. No. Uh, okay, so after Return the Dust, we jump over to Junjun. Junjun, Afri. Uh, apologize if that's completely incorrect. I'm, I'm going to go with Junin. Junin, that sounds appropriate. I'm not sure what the accent over that second U is really supposed to be getting me here. Junun? That's a good question. Junu, uh, whatever. Uh, it is from a, the Arabian Nights copy specifically started the week at about nine bucks and has jumped up to 26. I suspect that somebody didn't realize this is not on the reserve list and just and bought out the Arabian Nights copies because you can get the other copies for dirt cheap. It's just the Arabian Nights one that went up. I mean, maybe this maybe there was like two left. And somebody was buying them for ninety three ninety four, and was like, "Oh, maybe I'll grab the other two or something like that." So that's possible, but uh, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. It, it's it an old card. It's either ninety three ninety four. Yeah, definitely ninety three ninety four. Speculation, I would think, and the market price is only at seven dollars, so it, it's going to have trouble holding the twenty four dollar plateau the next time somebody finds one in a box and puts it up for fourteen ninety nine. Um, but you know, if you had a couple lying around from your old school collection, uh, all the better for you. Um, as Travis pointed out, this is not on the reserved list. It was, uh, reprinted in fourth edition and those copies are still dirt cheap. Um, and it was reprinted with the same art there and you can get them for like 10 cents. So, um, if you're actually planning on playing the card at any point, uh, unless you are a collector, there's no reason for you to be chasing the Arabian Nights version. Nope. Or I guess a ninety three I mean, ninety four player. <laughs> yeah, ninety three ninety four players tend to like their black borders, so you know I I get that. Um, but again, it could be reprinted. Can't you only play uh, only play the black border one in that format? Anyways, it, like, it so depends on the ru- depends on the ru- the rules of your local group. Some have eased that restriction to allow any copies of the card, but you'll certainly be made fun of. Ah, uh, well, so there you go. That's a good enough reason, I think. <laughs> so uh, uh yeah, stronghold gambit one. stronghold gambit uh the foils moving from <clears throat> nine dollars up to i think last week we had them uh, uh moving over 20 and here they've kind of officially set up shop in the mid 20s so uh around 25 or 26 i've got my foil up on ebay for just under 30 um and i'm in no huge rush um but this is the black red reanimator deck in legacy um some versions of the deck don't run the cards some do it's occasionally played in edh uh we covered this one last week yeah yeah we did there's not a not too much new to say on this one uh okay so after stronghold gambit we have a fiery confluence um i'm hoping okay so fiery confluence started the week at about a doll no 250 it has jumped up to about 750 uh, i don't see any copies below seven on tcg market price a little over four bucks uh do you have a really good perspective on this because i know people have mentioned it a couple times on twitter <clears throat> over the last you know a couple months but i i don't remember seeing it in the context of any particular play <clears throat> pattern there's a Dragon Stompy deck in Legacy that runs Goblin Rabble Master, Magus of the Moon, Simeon Spirit Guide, Sin Prodder, Thunderbreak Regent, four Chandra Torch of Defiance, two Koth of the Hammer, four Fiery Confluence, four Chalice of the Void, and four Chrome Mox, and four Blood Moon. So all of the just say no red cards um, and a bunch of mid-range threats and 
Fiery Confluence, uh, I mean, this is a fringe deck. Fiery Confluence is, is certainly a target for cubists. Um, it's playable in EDH. Um, it's not playable in modern by virtue of the set that it came out in. It was a commander release. Um, and the, well, as we've seen with several other um, higher profile commander releases from the last couple of years, once the inventory drains on those, nobody's popping the sets to pull extras out. And the, the sky is the limit on the price uh, as far as setting up shop at a new plateau. Uh, yep. So I, I guess it's, just, it's so hard for me to imagine that this is related mm-hmm. to legacy, but I guess anything's possible. I would think it's more speculative activity where they referenced that it has minor demand profiles in a couple of different formats and the the supply just got low enough that somebody took a swipe at 20 copies and cleaned it out. I guess. Uh, All right. So, uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and take the next one then? So uh, second last in our super long list this week, spreading plague from invasion, uh, moving from a dollar fifty to four fifty, um, largely on low supply. This is the kind of card that gets uh, modest EDH play. Um, I believe it kills uh, all creatures that share a color with one another. If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, not super exciting. Um, the kind of card that if you get a chance to trade these out before the price falls back down, um, so be it. Uh, probably a fairly poor spec. Uh, spec play by somebody or the 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 relatively modest demand just finally caught up to the total supply um all in all not really uh a, a big deal on that one uh not a huge mover like this last card though yeah that is a, a big price change for at least on paper uh this is the foil dissension copies of infernal tutor uh started the week at 80 dollars so how often do we have a card start at $80 and still be our biggest mover? Seriously? Uh, jump to over $400 for a 400% increase. I'm looking at TCG player. I see the cheapest copy at 425 but the market price is 100 bucks. So I, there must have been two or three of these. Somebody decided to go for it. Infernal Tutor has been a legacy storm staple for years uh and shows up in modern in some uh some frequency so uh this is just sort of that 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 cash that it carries as being like a preeminent legacy combo piece that you know no matter how how they print it you still have the original one whatever i think the price drops to probably maybe 150 200 at tops would be my guess uh but these sell so infrequently that it could take a while before we actually know what the price really is. I mean, there's an LP copy on eBay for a hundred bucks plus shipping. Um, there's some near mints in the $130 range. More of this has to get mopped up before that plateau can be declared real. Um, but uh, I said the same kind of thing about uh, Gaia's Cradle, Judge Foils, and they've just been you know, consistently putting up new plateaus um, on the basis of relatively modest real demand. Um, so... Uh, if you think that it's a card you're going to want to add to your uh, Legacy or Vintage Storm deck, um, you're, you're not going to get a better chance at this later. Um, so by all means, jump in while the getting is good, despite the fact that it's already spiked. Um, just do it at, you know, poke around and try to find the best possible price. Don't just take TCG at its word. Yeah, I, and I I have to wonder how many people we have listening that really needed foil infernal tutors and haven't bothered to buy them by now like who, who is that person yeah i mean you're you're a storm player who's been saving up and getting a piece at a time and somehow you didn't go for this one earlier yeah who knows all right all right all right 
uh let's move on to segment two our cards to watch uh you <laughs> uh why don't you get us started here so one of my pet cards from Konzatark here that I tried tried to make work in that standard and was a little early to the party um, uh, is starting to look pretty tempting in foil. The card I'm talking about is Hardened Scales. Uh, this is the perennial EDH enchantment. Uh, one green. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be placed on a creature you control, you instead put uh, one additional plus one plus one counter on. Um, so... With Atraxa, these card, all of these plus one plus one counter cards are increasingly important. And the thing is that there are actually four relevant commanders that care about this card. Atraxa, Gave, Guru of Spores, Animar, Soul of the Elements, and Marath, Will of the Wild are all uh, all care. Um, Anafens of the Foremost, also Azuri Claw of Progress, and Varel of the Hulk. Hulkclade as well as Skullbriar. That is eight premium commanders that are played in in you know large quantity. Obviously, Atraxa is the biggest mover today, but um, with that much uh, uh, viability across all of those decks and in various versions of those decks, um, Hardened Scales is a card I was just waiting till supply uh, started to get towards the the tipping point and we're pretty much there i mean there's like something like 40 or 50 results left on tcg for foils um most of them are listed in the three to four dollar range i predict that this is a future ten dollar foil no problem um highly unlikely to see a reprinting until probably something like modern masters 2019 at which point i think it's a slam dunk um especially if they end up with a plus one plus one counter theme whichever supplemental product has that we'll finally get this back if the card was just reprinted though in commander 2016 but of course not as a foil because there's no foils in that set other than the commanders and so it clears the path for these foils to have some time to mature for i would guess two to three years sure i i like hardened skills i picked up a bunch of foils uh also a long time ago a year i don't know some amount of time and change counters are always popular they get more popular doubling seasons is 60 dollars uh i think that this is a completely fine option if you're picking these up at three dollars uh if you manage to go two years without getting a reprint, this is going to work out very, very well for you. <laughs> I just looked up uh, before Har- Haruyuya was Haruyuya. It was Saito's card shop. Um, and on September 28th, 2014, I bought nine Japanese foil hardened scales for the equivalent of 450 US. Wait, uh, for 450 total? 450 each. Um, I think I'm going to be happy with that. Uh, as things progress here. Let's see. I got four Japanese foils in March of last year at about $3 a piece. No, I got 20 of them at about $3 a piece last year, <gasps> last March. Uh, uh, of course, I during that same purchase, I also bought a Japanese foil Narset Enlightened Master for uh, the equivalent <laughs> of $55 US. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so right. that was a mixed bag of an order. Yeah, yeah, I would say I'm looking through my note. Oh, I had 41 asceticisms in here. That was fine. <laughs> I had a bunch of nev-, nev discs too. That was kind of a shame because they put nev discs in like three commander sets after that. Well, I guess not three because it was last March, but they printed a bunch. That was a shame. Um, I did get in early there on uh, Japanese foil dig through times um, in an appropriate time frame as well as Jeskai ascendancies. So, eh, you know, you win, you win some, you lose some. Right. right. What's your first pick this week? Uh, So I am looking at Brawl's expertise. Um, This is 
the I guess what one of the two expertises we haven't actually discussed yet at this point. Um, it is the blue one. It is five mana uh, sorcery. Return up the three artifacts or creatures to their owner's hands and cast a spell for four or less for free. Uh, I remember scrolling through and seeing this one, and it was a little pricier than the others, but that's a really powerful effect. Like bouncing three creatures uh, for one with for one card. Um, I mean, in standard, that's this is exiles tokens, just eats them. Um, gets rid of cards that people may have cheated into play somehow uh, off like Aether Marvel works, for instance, um, that they can't cast again. Uh, and in standard, it, 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 you're probably going to hit people where you're bouncing like maybe a two drop, a three and a four or a three, three, four type of thing. And they might not be able to replay. They're probably not going to be able to replay all three of them at once. And they might not even be able to replay two at once. Um, so you can really clock somebody a good amount with that. Uh, and then the, the form on a spell for free, obviously, just gets you a lot there so it seems like a pretty powerful card um but what's interesting about it is for you smash melee players out there who remember marth as a marth counter uh brawl's expertise is a brawl's expertise counter so if i'm playing expertise and i balance three of james's creatures and then cast one of my own for free uh one of the best plays he can follow up with is to cast his own expertise he gets to bounce the creature that i just put in the play for free and then replay for free one of the creatures of his that i bounced um so it's good at fighting against itself which means you could end up in a format where you know everyone's showing up with expertises because with brawls because it's just good um and it's good against itself uh, so I like that that leads to formats where people, where a lot of decks are playing them and a lot of people have them. So, um, copies are not super cheap right now. I think they're in like the two ish lows two range. Um, I, I haven't bought any at this point. I, I was looking at a couple that I was thinking about. I, I haven't quite decided yet that are right around two. I think if this gets under two, if this gets into the dollar, dollar 50 range, I'd be happy to pick up several play sets. Um, because this is a type of card that, uh, it just seems very powerful, um, and I could see I could see a lot of decks in the format wanting to cast this. The really nice thing about I mean, as an amusing thing, if we're talking about like it count like being the answer to itself, you, you Baral's expertise bounce their three creatures um, and casts Ram's expertise, um, creating three servo tokens and then into something else. Um, and their response is expertise, bounce the three tokens, and then cast their own SRAM's expertise, <laughs> and and then cast something else would be, you know, w- would make standard worth playing for sure for me. Um, more realistically, the beauty of it uh, casting a four or less is that it can cast Gideon. I mean, bounce your three creatures you spent their early turns building up on, and then Gideon make a token. Oh my god, that's just gross. I mean at least testing along those lines to see what's possible is, is certainly worthwhile. That is very rude. Yeah, it's rude. Um, and, and, and more importantly, I think that once these get low enough during peak supply, I'm just going to pick up 20 copies of all the expertises. Whenever I see price points that look at they're all they're all rares, right? So once they get to like that dollar range, I just want all of them and I want lots of them. Um, they cast spells for free. They're going to end up doing broken things down the road. Um, whether or not they're ever super popular in standard, Rishkar's expertise foils are going to be bonkers in EDH. Somebody's going to try to make the five color deck in EDH that lets you run the whole chain because each the expertises are set up to cast each other. So you can go Rishkar's into Boral's into Sram's into or Yehenny's into Kerry Zev's. Um, I guess you can't do the, fir- the full five chain because Yehenny's and Sram's both cost 
four. So you can only do four of the five, but still, um, people are going to make the, try to make that work. I've also got my eye on Kerry Zev's expertise for modern and potentially SRAMs as well. Um, the the fact that Kerry Zev's expertise steals something and lets you and then lets you cast something like a smallpox uh, potentially sets up broken things. Um, yeah, I, cards that ca- that caught cards that cast other cards for free always end up busted just look at Bloodbraid elf look at snapcaster mage look at vrin's prodigy um goblin dark dwellers torrential gear hulk it's always always good it's funny uh what's his name uh Stad mentioned on twitter that the reason they thought these were reasonable is because you had to have the card in hand they're like yeah that seems like a good balance line <laughs> yeah. oh sam sam come on are you kidding me like if, if if the whole if the whole basis for this is well you have to have the card in hand for these not to be busted i don't know about that so, I, so- I, I, I i'm with you there it's like boy if these expertises are ever all really ever cheap enough it's just like, yeah sure i'll take a pile because you're never going to reprint them and who knows what's going to happen down the road at least one of them is going to end up in modern. I just don't know which one yet. I don't think it's Burrells. Oh, I don't yeah, think it's. Yeah. I don't think it's Rishkar's. Uh, although in a ramp deck, it's possible, I suppose. Um, but I think that both. That's. I'm testing two copies of Srams in black white tokens. It looks solid there. Um, not amazing, but very solid. Um, and Kerry Zevs and Yehenny's probably just need the right deck or the right meta uh, expertise. Yehenny's expertise um, being a board wipe for things that have three toughness or less is really a meta dependent situation. And Kerry Zevs and uh, looks like it's more of a combo card. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line here is that they are testing these cards for standard. So they might feel confident about standard, but it's it. <laughs> the backdrop on these, the backstop on these is the casual demand, the EDH demand, um, the potential for it to do busted things in modern and or frontier. Um, for all of those reasons, all of these, I, I'm going to get the whole thing, 20 of each, just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. They test them for standard, but not for anything else. Um. Okay, my second card for the week is, I don't know, I don't know how fair this is, uh, Curtain's Call from Commander 2016. This is the, uh, the undaunted kill two creatures that gets down to three mana, just three mana kill two creatures in a four player EDH game. Uh, completely uh, transparent. Uh, I mean, Jason Alt has been barking up this tree lately. I think it's a great choice. Um, I'm not just stealing it. I think that, uh, you know, if you hear multiple people talk about it, that um, th- that means that, that several of us are on the same page. That that tells you this is a pretty good idea. But uh, it, it's a good idea in his part. The price has already moved. So I don't know if I'm really giving you much of an edge here. Uh, you know, I, I saw it looked like there were some copies under a dollar, under dollar fifty on TCG player. I don't know if there's going to be much left. Um, if there's really that much now and if there will really be any left by the time any of you guys get a chance to look for it. But you might be able to find them in trade binders or in card stores. Um, this is a type of card. The, the Curtain's Call is interesting because it's, it's in these sealed commander decks. So there's a fair bit of them. Uh, but what happens is all of them get shoved into personal collections. Uh, of casual players and then they don't go anywhere right like this wasn't a set that people drafted and have stacks of this at home or uh or you know got open while people were cracking cases to sell stores it's just they only show up in the commander product and most people take those home stash it and then that's the end of it so i think that even though there's a very large supply on these the amount that are liquid in the market is probably a good bit less than you might normally expect um unlike any normal rare 
Uh, and it's just, it's an efficient, effective card that's good in all black EDH decks. Uh, it has the cool feature of you paying less than the mana cost looks like, which means you get to do stuff with like Yidris where um, it cascades for six mana, even though you only paid for three. Uh, so it's got little little fun things like that that make it more appealing than just being a removal spell. So if you can get these in the dollar to maybe $2 range, I think that's a good choice. Um, you know, th these are definitely set up for a 5 to $8 price range in the next year to three years. Uh, but I, again, I, I just I have to mention again, I don't know if you're going to be able to get them that cheap, but I'd keep an eye out. Uh, there's a couple of things that are great about this. First of all, as you were alluding to, um, any card that has who that is a single printing card and has only shown up in a Commander series deck, um, and only one of them at that, uh, and that's important, um, is essentially a mythic rare because uh, whatever rarity they print on it in the set is completely fucking irrelevant um, because there's only one copy per card in the set and the sets are predetermined. There's no... Rarity is completely irrelevant with Commander uh, releases. Um, and because it has Undaunted, which is a Commander-specific mechanic, it's not going to get reprinted anywhere else. Um, and they're not going to just print it again next year. So you can expect to wait a few years for this to... Um, uh, before you have to worry about reprint risk. And uh, the price trend has been largely uphill. There are very few copies left in the market. I bought uh, a small pile when I first saw Jason talking about it at a dollar um, in one of his uh, his articles on MTG Price. Um, and I think even if you get in in the 2 to $4 range, um, I, I think that this can hit 10 um, before we see a reprinting. And, and it's it's not a super flashy card, but it's a stalwart. It does good work. Um, it doesn't have any restrictions on what it kills. Um, and, you know, the the bonus uh, wackiness with things like uh, uh, Yidris and Maelstrom Wanderer is, is just a bonus. You think the, you think $10 on a just a removal spell? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be a supply-driven spike. Um, and... Uh, it it doesn't. It would only take a speculator with a few hundred dollars in their pocket to name the price on this card. Um, and in that five to ten dollar range, it's not enough to get people to start cracking the deck, um, you know, or breaking up the deck. Uh, and especially if they they sense, you know, if an EDH player senses that a card is in demand and they're already playing with it, that doesn't prompt them to sell it. Um, not in that price range. Um, they'd rather keep it in their deck um, and and have something that they will miss if they don't have it. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. Well, what's your uh, what's your last one then? So my next pick this week is Thing in the Ice Foils. Uh, we called Thing in the Ice last week at, uh, or last spring at four dollars, and it got up into the eight to ten dollar range and made me some money and made other people some money, and I felt good about that. But now the foils uh, are starting to dry up and looking pretty attractive. Um, you can get them in the ten to twelve dollar range, depending on where you're buying them from. Um, there really aren't that many left. This is not a card that's easy to reprint, and it just came out in shadows, so you're not going to see it for a few years. Um, non foils are in the seven dollar range right now. Um, Thing in the Ice gets a lot better when it doesn't have to worry about Reflector Mage, so there's a very good chance that it sees a strong uptick in play in Standard over the, the last half of its uh, Standard career. Um, foils are probably going to end up in the $20 to $30 range, and you can get in right now in the $12 to $13 range. Um, I've, I already own a whole bunch, including a Russian Foil promo uh, that I picked up for, I think, $55. Um, and I'm going to be going in on another probably six to ten foils wherever i can find them cheapest that's uh that's interesting that those russian foils yeah i i, I like to fun. 
I, I've been getting, I've been in the habit for the last few years of if there's an especially broken looking blue card, I try to talk, track down one of the Russian vendors on Facebook and get access to a pre-release foil that's still sealed in its wrapper. I've got one for Jace Friends Prodigy and one for Thing in the Ice um, and a couple of others that I can't recall off the top of my head. But uh, I, when something looks like it's going to be especially good down the road, and I think Thing in the Ice still has a potential home in modern once they figure out how to make up for the fact that they just lost uh, Gataxian Probe, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they need the the replacement blue spell or red spell that will help that deck get back on its feet um, and push a little further up the chain. But Thing in the Ice is, you know, legacy vintage playable um, in certain metas and in weird decks um, and has all sorts of casual uh, and EDH potential because it can flip all of your opponent's creature. I mean, bounce all of your opponent's creatures when it flips. Um, so yeah, I, I like these foils. There's not a whole lot of them left and uh uh, there's no easy way for people to source additional copies, um, reprints unlikely, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think this is I think this is a solid choice. It's a very powerful card that's cheap um, and pays you for casting lots of cheap spells, which is exactly what you want to be doing in modern anyway. So uh, yeah, I think this is spot on. It seems like a good a good opportunity there. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about the last thing that I had on my list, that, and, and I'll just qualify it by saying that my confidence level is lower than average. Um, Pure Steel Paladin appeared on our list moving from 6 to 12, but copies can still be found in the 8 to $10 range, depending on where you're sourcing them. And if you check out your local shop, maybe you'll get real lucky. Um, the supply on that card is low enough that if I can find some, uh, you know, maybe in Europe, uh, I'll have to poke around on uh, MKM. Um, but I think anything under 10, if the Pure Steel Paladin deck gets on camera, I don't even think it needs to win the tournament or even top eight. I think if there's a, a prominent modern tournament and somebody shows up with a wacky new Pure Steel Paladin deck that is leveraging paradoxical outcome and or any number of combo pieces that showed up in Kaladesh block, um, there's a very strong possibility that the card hits $20 overnight and $10 may end up looking like a relative bargain. I don't disagree with you there. I do think that uh, this can definitely see a pretty strong price increase uh, if it's a good deck in modern. I don't. I don't know if it is right. Like we, I just I don't know if it's going to get there. But it certainly it could. Um, again, I think that I think you probably have enough time to react to this, so you shouldn't be buying. You definitely shouldn't be buying now in in anticipation of that happening. But it. I mean, I guess if it like top 16 Star City, that's a clue that maybe the deck is good enough and you can pick up a couple and know that it might go. But at 10 bucks a piece, like this is to me, this is one of those theoretical cards where it's like, oh, I can look at Pure Steel Paladin. It's like eight to ten dollars. I, you know, if it shows up in an event, it could really move in price and I'll think about it and I might talk about it. But like the odds of me actually doing it because the price of, I don't know, at 10 bucks a piece, it's so hard to kind of move in on that. It's so hard to, I guess, put your money where your mouth is when the buy in price is so high. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could end up just flat on this. And so that's why I would say that the priority is low. It was a lot more interesting. Let me just look at my invoices here. January 11th, I picked up uh, 14 copies at the equivalent of 450 US locally. Um, and I'm going to be satisfied to just sit on those and see what happens. Sure, sure. Um, okay. So let's move on to uh, our segment three, our topic of the week. Uh, when to sell out of the cards that you're sitting on, um, whether 
They're cards that you picked up specifically for speculative purposes or rather just kind of things that you have and they're hanging around and then you find out the price increase. So what do you uh, – I, I know you, you talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Why don't you give us an idea of what your kind of metrics are for determining that? So I think that we, we – let's break this down in two stages. I think that there's a bunch of different metrics you look at in different scenarios – um, there are different factors to consider depending on which card we're talking about and where it's played and what the the, the various uh, timelines or meta uh, patterns are that you need to respond to. But I have one overarching argument and, and the, dis- the discussion debate I got into on Twitter this weekend is basically I, I have to imagine more misunderstanding and limitations of 140 character format than anything else because I think if they heard me out they would understand what I was referring to which is that um, you decide to get out of an asset, whether it's cards or wine or, you know, 80s toys or whatever other stuff um, I deal in, um, stocks, etc. You decide to get out of an asset for, for a simple reason, because you have a better place to put your money elsewhere. Um, if you do not have a better return somewhere else waiting for you, then um, it's not time to sell the asset. Now, when you say that, you are including all of the various factors that might fall under that umbrella of consideration. So um, if you believe that the card, you know, the card is at 100 and it doesn't matter where it was before, it doesn't matter if it was at 200 or 50, but if you, if the card is at 100 and you think it's going to go down um, and you know you can get out now at the current price um, and that the the plateau you believe it will reach headed downhill um uh, is low enough that it accounts for the fees and trouble of selling the card and potentially having to reacquire it later, especially if you're playing with it, um, then you sell. But it's not an automatic sell just because the card is up. Um, say you buy a card at 10 and it gets to 20. The question isn't, am I up $10? So should I sell? The question is, is there another plateau ahead down the road? Is the demand profile strong enough that um, that despite the existing spike, another spike could happen that would be better than the other place I could park my money. So sure, Jace Friends Prodigy goes from, say, $20 to $40. I sell a bunch of those. Or Sahili Rise at $5, and I sell a bunch at $20. Um, uh, I do that because I think that those spikes are localized, that I think that they, they have run their course, and I think there's a lot of risk in staying in those cards. Um, in those two specific examples, uh, especially. Um, and I have other ideas. You know, you and I are working on deals in Europe where we're buying up cheap masterpieces that are undervalued ver- versus current market prices, let alone what they might get to later. And so we, we, you know, we get out of things that are relatively risky and we move into things that we think are relatively safe. I mean, that, that's a good play pattern. Um, but uh, this concept that you're up, sell and forget about it is, is dead wrong. Um, not because uh, it's wrong, it, not because you should be greedy and try to squeeze every last dime out. I mean, the the old chestnut of, um, you know, leave the last 10% for the next guy that the BSB crew was was rolling around off, off their tongues for years um, is certainly true. I mean, you don't need to squeeze every last dime out of something. If, if something pops from 10 to 20 and you think you can get to 23, you should still probably be selling unless you think the, the, the future for the card is is even better than where you're at now. Um, but being up is not the determining factor was my key point. What my key point was that you need to look at the overall prospects for the card 
compare it to your other options and then make the call on when to get out. Right. I don't know if I can really phrase it too much better. That That's a good way to, to put it. Um, you know, when I'm deciding whether or not to sell a card, I'm looking at it and thinking, here's where it is today. I, I, I don't really think too much about what the price was yesterday. It's here's the price today. What do I think it could be in the near future? And how stable do I think today's price is? Uh, in the instance of a card that is, I think the price is really sticky, like Return to Dust, where I don't expect that to really go down. I have no trouble hanging on to that for a couple weeks or a month, even though it jumped, uh, what, 100 and some odd change, 166% this week. Um, because I'm like, well, even though it spiked, I don't see the price really going down from here. And it could move again, so I'm not going to sell any copies. Uh, on the flip side of that... Uh, you know, a card could move uh, based on the Pro Tour, and then you're like, okay, I don't care what it was yesterday. I know that it's very high today, and it will probably go back down unless this blows someone out of the water again next weekend. So I'm just going to sell it now because the in the number of futures where I make money on this card uh, are far outnumbered by the number of futures where the price goes down from here. Um, so just, yeah, just because a card has moved in price, it doesn't mean you need to sell I personally, I shouldn't say I don't care all what the price was yesterday. That's not fair. I, that does matter a little bit. Um, well, I think because if, if it jumps 700%, then I know that it has a much further way to fall than if it's jumped like 20%, right? But uh, in general, the idea is not how, how the percentage of the increase doesn't determine whether or not I sell today. It's how much do I think it could be in days, weeks, or months. And then I use that information to determine if I should be getting out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, to summarize my earlier umbrella, it's about. What do I think is going to happen next with the asset in question? And what are my other options? And under that umbrella, it's very useful to have a series of heuristics, um, you know, rules of thumb that you're going to apply to a variety of different kinds of situations. So you're going, and a lot of this ties back into, you know, the work that I'm trying to do um, on an ongoing basis with this concept of spec score that I proposed in the late fall, um, where I'm trying to find uh, figure out what uh, attributes of a card are most likely to predict um, its financial future. And so some of the heuristics are definitely related to rarity. You know, it's it's a good idea to be looking at uncommons at a quarter, uh, rares under a dollar, um, mythic rares under $5 in standard um, while they're in print uh, as uh, signals that you may have, that an opportunity is present for a card that is currently undervalued. Um uh, reprint risk is another heuristic that you, and scheduling is something that you want to be considering with cards. You know, how likely is it that Liliana the Veil or Snapcaster Mage or Cavern of Souls are going to show up in the Modern Masters 2017 announcements next month and uh, make 20 copies of those cards you have under your bed uh, worth 40% less for 12 months? Um, is it possible that Snapcaster Mage will show up as a mythic instead of a rare? Will they break their usual modus operandi in the set maintaining the the rare the post mythic world rarities um so that snapcaster doesn't tank super hard um or is it going to be a 20 dollar card by june and you should be definitely selling um you know you need to have these rules of thumb um and uh one of the rules of thumb is that if you don't know the rules uh you should probably be selling so if your $10 card jumps to 20 and you don't know what's going to happen next and you don't you don't have the mental bandwidth, one of the things I will agree with 
um, uh, uh, you know, Chaz pointed out uh, this concept of uh, mental capacity, like you, you, you only have so much time and attention to devote to all of these things. And instead of spending a ton of time trying to analyze the situation, you can just sell and move on. Um, that's certainly true if that if that's true for you. If if you don't have the bandwidth to be, uh, you know, you don't even have five or ten minutes to research a card, then yeah, you should probably th- throw it up on eBay, uh, on the eBay app on your phone and try to get out of it or throw it in your trade binder and try to pawn it off on somebody at your next F&M. Um, you know, there, be, be willing to adapt to the situation on the basis of your available resources, whether mental or, or otherwise. Right. I, uh, I, I can certainly appreciate the idea of the, the mental capacity and, um, you know, that's a reason to consider selling, you know, if you're not active in, you know, I have a bunch of modern cards that I'm not really active in the format right now. So unless I want to micromanage that collection, I should really just dump all of it so that I don't have to think about it and do something else with the money because of, uh, you know, the amount of attention it would require to take care of that. And that's not, um, that's not incorrect. It's basically just a function of that my my time and how much it's worth, and you know, is it worth is it worth spending hours a week looking at all this and keeping track of it and thinking about it uh, for how much money that I may or may not save myself or, or what have you. So that's you know that's that's another part of it. But that's you know when you're talking about, I feel like that tends to be only a small portion of it and tends to matter at a larger picture. Um, like, is it worth doing magic finance at all based on how many hours a week it takes you to think about it and how much money it makes you? Uh, but on an individual card basis, it seems less significant because you have the card, you know what the price was, you know what the price is, you think about what the price might be and you make your decision. It's not really, a, oh man, I have to sit here and think about those pure steel paladins in my box. It's like, no, they're there. I know what I'm doing with them. Uh, you know, I've kind of already made that decision. Yeah, so a couple of other things for people to be thinking about. Um, you know, one of the things that you can look at for, you know, the the dollar EDH card that goes to three or four or five dollars that we talked about that's really hard to make money on if you're actually selling it through the usual usual pipelines like eBay and TCG is that um, you know, those are situations where we mentioned earlier, you might trade the card out locally. And um, the other opportunity would be to trade it through Puka Trade. I mean, this is one of the few times where Puka Trade uh, can still come in handy is if you can throw together a bundled package of, say, five or 10 cards that are like that, that total 50 or $60. Um, you know, you're probably going to have trouble drawing down a masterpiece invention or something on that site. But if you need five or 10 random other cards, um, you know, you should be able to pull those in. There are still people sending thousands and thousands of cards through that platform every week. It's just that the cards that everybody wants are few and far between. Yeah, that's and that. Now you're going to get yourself in the trouble with that one. Apparently, they just released um, uh, what is it? Where you can promote your trade so that yours shows yep. up first on the list of all of them. Yep. Which people seem really angry about, but I don't quite understand. That seems like something that. I feel like people were asking about that back under the old build of the site, and it does not seem unreasonable to me at all. Well, I mean, I certainly can't complain about it because I was the primary advocate writing articles saying that they needed to have basically a bid-ask system like the stock market, and essentially promoted trades is is pretty similar to bidding more on a card than the market average. Um, it's the equivalent of saying that this card is $10 on TCG, but I, I'm willing to pay up to $15 for it. Uh, if I'm paying in cards I already own instead of dollars out of my pocket. Um, yeah. And, 
you know, does that make it harder for me to get my hands on cards because I don't want to pay bonuses? Yes, absolutely it does. And the, the platform is going to be less valuable to somebody like me. But for somebody who has, you know, $200 worth of jank lying around the house, you know, 5 and $10 cards, if they can trade that out at full value on Puka Trade and then uh, give somebody a 100% bonus to pull in a $100 masterpiece that they want and they couldn't have afforded it for cash um, and they didn't have the time to sell those cards individually, that might have taken three to six months to unload all of them. But they got to bundle it bundle it up, send it out, two weeks later got the points confirmed and then they managed to pull a, pull a deal on a masterpiece soul ring. That guy is happy. He's just not the same guy as me. Right, right. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think this is a completely fine idea. I don't understand the, the frustration with this system. Um, well, I mean, the, it, frust- it, the frustration it, it, is that people felt like they were promised a system where cards, you would just put it on your want list and it would just arrive. You know, like people, people expected that in tandem with the convenience of the site, they would also get, um, you know, instant access to cards. And the thing is that, You have an inverse relationship between the two. In a pull-based economy where you are ordering cards in the usual e-commerce model, you can get whatever you want, um, but you got to pay for it. In in the push-based economy, you you can't get whatever you want, but you can log the value whenever you want to. So you can push out whatever cards are on lists. You can you can take advantage of spikes. You can do all sorts of stuff to maximize the the value and Puka points that you're building up. But there's no guarantee you're going to be able to turn that into something specific. I mean, that's the flip side. And people need to think about that platform in those terms and use it for different scenarios than trying to get moxes. Yeah, it was good while it lasted, though, wasn't it? <laughs> Dude, I got I, I I mean, I think back to a year and a half ago. I got a foreign black bordered volcanic island. I got my Mishra's workshop through that site. Um, I got Foil Jaceman's Prodigies at their height. Um, I got a bunch of expeditions, um, and I didn't pay any bonuses on any of that. <laughs> uh, th- those days are over. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was pleased with what I put together, but I was not. I was puka in for personal use rather than trying to uh, trying to put together the really large trades, but. Uh, if so, I had realized how soon that that environment was going to change, maybe I would have tried a little harder, but I needed cards for my EDH decks, dang it. Yeah. So, I mean, here let's go back to the topic at hand. Here's one of the other heuristics I think is very useful. Is the spike in question a what we would term a hype spike, meaning that the card is being um, uh, theorized to be good, but it has not actually top-aided yet? Um that's a situation where I will be much more likely to sell into the spike than if the card is proven and is down on either a reprint um, that I've missed out on, like haven't got it out in front of, or um, is, uh, you know, down in the metagame. So I'm talking about something like uh, at a certain point, Jund was very low in the modern metagame and Liliana got down to $50 and I was a huge buyer. I bought 10 or 12 copies um, and managed to out most of them at 100 um, and when Jason's Prodigy was undervalued and the foils were 40 or $50, I was in on those and out above 120 The But for something like Sahili Rai, where, yes, the combo looks broken, it looks like Splinter Twin, it may well be uh, a, a centerpiece in standard, um, the problem is twofold. Um, a, it's not proven, it hasn't been on camera, and it may be that because everybody knows about all the other decks are going to warp around it and they'll be able to handle it no problem. Um, and B, if that's not true and it is format warping and it is too good and it does put four of eight copies in the top eight at the pro tour, 
well, now we have the five-week ban window where the thing's going to get the ban hammer and the card's going to crash. So that's one. That's a situation where because I would deem that a hype spike, I'm definitely out and moving on to safer, safer harbors. Yeah, and I think that's kind of that is a a uh, a more granular description of kind of the what I was talking about earlier was I look at the price today and I look at what I think the price is going to be tomorrow and next week and next month, you know, and in deciding like what do I think it's going to be next month is well why is it gone up, um, you know why are we getting here is it because it was it's an EDH staple and supply has been draining and it finally popped or is it because people think this card is going to be really good but we actually have no idea yet. Uh, you know that that type of thing. So so I, I'm right there with you. That's definitely a component of it. But we have been going now uh, for over an hour, so we should probably get around to wrapping this up. Uh, so James, where can our uh, our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And I do have a uh, digging for dollars coming out for Ether Revolt uh, tomorrow. Well, those are always good. I have. Um, Again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday at mtgprice.com. I'm on the occasional video cast, Cartel Aristocrats. And if you like playing magic, check out scry.land to find magic events in your area or other areas around the world. And I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mdgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the episode of end of episode 51. 51. Ooh, Next almost week. a year. Yeah, next week's a year. I've missed a couple because I was on vacation, but you've done – no, you missed one, right? That yep. was like the week mm-hmm. you had your, your kid because I remember I did one with Cliff. But yep. dang, if we, had, if we had thought about this, we could have done T-shirts or something. But oh well. <laughs> So uh, thank you, uh, Travis, and we'll see all you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.